You're listening to Commute, the podcast. Congratulations, you'll be smarter when you get there. Hey, 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 Commute, the podcast, episode three. You'll be smarter when you get there. That much we can promise you. On this episode of Commute, the podcast, is it time to kill the penny? How much do you really know about Jeopardy? And the Balloon Boy parents pardoned by the governor of Colorado. All of that on this episode of Commute the Podcast, so let's get to it. All right, Dave, well here uh, to start out this episode of Commute the Podcast, I'm going to talk to you about a debate as old as time, and it is, is it time to kill the penny? Uh, before we start, are you a change guy? Are you the are you the change purse guy? Do you keep change, or are you kind of a debit card only type guy? I actually hate change. I'm not a germaphobe at all, but I've always found change to be especially grimy and dirty. So I've actually been known to throw away pennies. So this this is near and dear to my heart. Well, you're not alone um, when it comes to the penny. Uh, the penny actually is in a weird place right now. Last year with the COVID pandemic and into this year, a lot. Of people being locked down were not out spending money. So, a lot of money sat in cash registers, it sat in businesses, it sat in people's pockets for months and months and months. Um, and the penny is in a weird predicament because, uh, because of inflation, it's gotten to this point where people don't really need them or use them, but we still make a lot of them. 60% of all the US uh, mint made last year were pennies. Hold on, 60% of all change? Of all U.S. mint or pennies. Seven billion pennies were made last year, and it costs two cents to make a penny. And you can do the math. A penny is worth one cent. The penny costs us money to make. It costs us $72 million that we lost to make pennies last year. Now, when you talk about the grand scheme of things, when you talk about the big budget, $72 million, it's a drop in the bucket, right? So you're not really, it's not like a you know major part of the budget. But still, uh, you're kind of getting into this conversation about, is it worth it anymore? So there's these interesting stories around the penny. There's a former Republican congressman from Arizona named Jim Colby. And in the late 1980s, he made it his mission to try to get the penny out. Now, you get into tricky territory when you try to ban something because a penny is made of things. So you're talking about people's jobs. You're talking about uh, copper. A lot of a penny is made of zinc. So you're talking about those jobs. He proposed, let's get rid of the penny. Let's also get rid of the paper dollar and let's replace it with some sort of copper coin. So then we can get rid of the penny. We can try to save the industries involved. Well, then it became kind of this weird fundamental debate in Congress about the penny. Uh, that Speaker of the House at the time was a guy named Dennis Hastert. And Dennis Hastert was from Illinois. It's the home state of Abraham Lincoln. And Illinois takes pride in Abraham Lincoln. They take pride in the penny. So you flip back over to the other side. Okay, what's the argument to keep it and why did that ultimately win? Well, the penny defender's strongest argument is that if you get rid of the penny, all of those prices, $9.99, $2.99, $3.99, would all round up. So you're talking about a tax. In 1857, the United States did kill off the half cent coin. So we have killed off currency in the past. All right, and that a coin adjusted for inflation today would be worth about 14 cents, and we've done we've done just fine, right? Maybe we're at a crossroads with the penny. So um, I could tell you got a little triggered when you found out that the pennies cost two cents to make a piece. So your thoughts? I would say I came into this conversation with an opinion on the penny. 
you just reinforce that opinion. The penny doesn't make sense. Get it? So switching gears from the penny, Jay, let's talk about Jeopardy. Are you a game show guy? Do you watch Jeopardy? I am. I, I watched Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy almost every night. Huge Alex Trebek fan. Love trivia. I'm all in on it. Well, Alex Trebek passed away, sadly, at the end of 2020 at the age of 80. But he leaves behind the legacy of the longest running game show in American history. So Jeopardy has aired nearly 8,000 episodes. So Jeopardy is on, I believe it's 36th season at this point. And so that's about 230 or 240 new episodes per year. Now, a typical taping day for Jeopardy is anywhere from two to five episodes per day. So sometimes Alex Trebek would record an entire week's worth of episodes in one day. And yes, he changed suits every single episode. So he would have five suits that he'd change into five times per day. That's a 46-day taping schedule. So if you think about it, 365 days a year, 46 days doesn't seem like that much work. Well, it is a pretty decent schedule, but those 46 days, long, long, long days. Jeopardy, because of its commitment to excellence, has outlived Jay over 400 other game shows since it began in 1984. So you think about shows like Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And I remember when Who Wants to Be a Millionaire came out with Regis Philbin. It was Can't Miss TV. Well, think about it now. I mean, yeah, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? I think they still make new episodes. But when's the last time you actually sat down to watch an episode of that? Jeopardy always keeps it fresh. Nearly 14,000 clues are written for each season of Jeopardy. 14,000 clues per season. So you never have the same clue twice. The lowest score in the history of Jeopardy, negative $6,800. I kind of anticipated it would be more like there'd just be one like, you know, Wild West gunslinger out there with like $32,000 and he's real confident about the category and he just throws it all down on the line and loses it all. But I guess that hasn't happened. Now, if I ever got on Jeopardy, I would be I would be so bad at the game. And when I was a kid, we used to play um, Jeopardy on Sega. I used to play it with my cousins. Now, all three of them are extremely intelligent. Um, most of them are lawyers or working in higher ed as uh, faculty members. So, of course, I had no chance from the get-go. I'm just a lowly marketer. But I would continually steal the clues and miss the questions just to kind of run down my score and get as low as possible. Because if you're not going to win, you might as well lose in historic fashion. And, and I've always just been fascinated by the characters in Jeopardy history that really changed the way that the game was done. You know, you obviously have someone like Ken Jennings, who just was totally dominant just in his knowledge. But then you also have guys like James Holzhauer who came in and he just kind of like blast through the board and he would always wager so much money that he would just become totally uncatchable in these games. And then hopefully, uh, you know, if you if you know your Jeopardy history, you know a guy like Arthur Chu, right? Do you remember Arthur Chu? No, I remember Arthur Chu, the villain of Jeopardy. Yeah, he was widely hailed as being the most hated man in Jeopardy history because he would just jump all over the board in this like chaotic anarchy and try to throw everyone off. But, you know, it worked for him. He stayed on that show for a long time before he got knocked off. All right, Dave, and to wrap us up here, we are going to talk about a hoax 
that has sort of made its way back into the public conversation. Are you familiar with a 2009 incident that hit and took the media by storm called the Balloon Boy hoax? Is this something that that, uh, rings a bell for you? You know, Balloon Boy, Bubble Boy, all of those things trigger some memory in the deep recesses of my brain. But no, please enlighten me. On October 18th, 2009, we're, we're going to go over to Colorado here. And so you've got these two parents, uh, Richard and Mayumi Heen. Okay. And so these uh, two parents, they have three kids and Richard uh, to his story. Okay. And we're, we're going to be operating on Richard's story here for a little bit. And then I'll tell you why his story was brought into question. He builds this weird looking UFO weather balloon type thing. And he builds it in the backyard. He says it's some sort of science experiment. Well, on October 19th, his two of his three kids come coming into the, uh, come running into the house and they say, our brother, the six-year-old son, Falcon is his name. It's kind of ironic. Great Falcon name. falls into the balloon and is taken up into the air. All right. So they call 911. This balloon is not stopping. It's going up and up and up and up. And the fear is, is that there is a six-year-old boy trapped inside of this balloon. And it is now in the upper atmosphere. We're talking about this thing getting up to 7,000 feet in the air. This is one of those things that I, I can't imagine how the how the 911 caller or whoever got this call reacted. Because what do you even do? You can't just grab this thing out of the sky. So they scramble helicopters. They're flying around this thing for 90 minutes trying to track this balloon. It's all over the news. And so it floats for about 50 miles away from its original <laughs> destination. It comes down, people surround the balloon, they rip it open, nobody's inside. So immediately the search parties go out. He must have fallen out, he must be dead in a forest somewhere. We have to find him. Well, later that day, the boy comes crawling out of the attic and basically tells his parents, "Hey, I was hiding the whole time." You know, "Haha, I got you." They call off the they call off the search and immediately it becomes this very weird thing because the parents get interviewed. All right, and the parents like have this very strange history. They were actually on the Lifetime show Wife Swap. Do you remember Wife, uh, Wife Swap? Oh yeah, they're on Wife Swap twice, so they already kind of have twice. This, twice they they have this weird kind of brush in with reality television at some point. So okay, all that aside. They're getting interviewed on Larry King, of all people. And Larry King just kind of tells the boy, hey, why, why didn't you just uh, you know, come down and tell him that you were not in the balloon? And he just kind of looks at his parents. You can find the clip on YouTube. He looks at his parents and he goes, well, they, they told me we had to do it for the show. All right. So the parents are like, well, he doesn't know what he's talking about, you know, or whatever. So it kind of just then starts to spiral and it starts to become more serious. You're talking about scrambling the National Guard, you know, getting these rescue workers, putting them in danger to try to hunt this thing down. And so the conversation starts to change from, wow, that was a weird story. Glad he's okay." to, man, these people did this to try to put themselves in the spotlight and try to set themselves up for future reality shows. Okay, so about a month later after the incident, the sheriff's department brings charges uh, against the Heens, saying that they faked it all, that they did it for fame, and the Heens actually pled guilty. Both of them, to some degree, served time in jail. They paid $36,000 in restitution. But today, 
we're several years down the road now, they still claim that they were innocent. And the reason that they claim they pled guilty is because they had kind of the, you know, in the cop show where the cop comes in and is like, look, you're just going to want to take the deal we gave you because if it goes to trial, it's not going to be good for you. They kind of say it was something like that, right? We got threatened. Richard's wife, uh, Mayume, is an immigrant. So he kind of said like, hey, she, we were afraid of her getting deported. And so it kind of became this conversation of we weren't guilty, but we had to plead guilty because we had to move on. We had to move past this. We would have gone to jail for a long time. Why am I talking about this now? Why are we bringing this up now? Well, first of all, it's an interesting story. But second of all, Jared Polis, who is now the governor of Colorado, just pardoned the Heans uh, last month. All right. Because although they've paid the restitution, although they've served their, their jail time, they are still felons. And since they're still felons, you can't vote. Uh, there's also restrictions on your employment. And so the Heans petitioned a pardon from the governor. The governor granted that pardon and basically kind of said, you know, hey, we uh, we got to move on. Falcon, and this is just a quick uh, fact for you, Falcon is now a teenager. He also sings in a heavy metal band and he they do write songs about the Balloon Boy incident. And it makes sense that they were pardoned. I mean, we all mess up. You know, some of us lie, some of us steal, some of us pretend to send our son up in a, a hot air balloon. So, you know, things happen is the moral of the story. And that's it for this episode of Commute the Podcast. He's Jay. I'm Dave. We'll catch you on the next edition. Make sure you are following us on our social medias. You can find us on Instagram or on Twitter. And also, we would love if you could rate, subscribe, and review to the podcast. That helps us out a lot. We appreciate you taking some time to spend your commute with us. <laughs>